This morning, I want to even bring this more, more specific to the season we're in, and, and really look at, at glorifying God corporately and individually in this area of giving thanks. And, and I want to encourage you to, to not let the, uh, you know, don't, don't check out on me and say, oh, it's one of them Thanksgiving messages. Because sometimes in the church, our biggest enemy is familiarity. Oh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. This is, this is that pre-Thanksgiving message, guys. Right? Yeah, okay. And you kind of check out. You kind of check out because you feel like you're so familiar with it. My challenge, my prayer for you, because um, I have been challenged as I pray through this and study this, is like, I'm like, wow. I had some wow moments. Because look at First Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16. Right? First Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16. It says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? 25 years of ministry, I've often had people say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm trying to seek God's will. Right? And sometimes I get what they mean, but a lot of times they kind of miss it because they think God's will is like, who should I marry? Or, you know, what job should I pursue? Or, you know, they, 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 they kind of narrow God's will to being right and trying to figure out this one thing. Now, that's part of it. But if you look at this, look at these verses again. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look at this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to be in God's will? It's your desire. <laughs> be joyful. Always. Pray. Continually. Give thanks in Man, I just wish you'd tell me who I'm supposed to marry. That's easier than this, right? Because the first two, be joyful always, pray continuously, that's like, a, there's a continuum there. That's like all the time, right? And then look at the third one that we're focusing on. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's scope. That's universal. That's all circumstances, all circumstances, even when the person next to you drives you crazy, turn and smile at them. In all circumstances. How many had one of those circumstances before church? We talk about that miracle that happens, right? You park at a miracle from your car to the front door. Get to church. Fighting all the way to church. You park. Morning, brother. God bless you, too. How's your week? Good. How's your week? Anyone? Right? Right? So this idea of always, continually, and giving thanks in all, how many of you, just right off the bat, are like, impossible? You might as well put your hand up, because it is. If you're feeling like, that's kind of cray-cray, like impossible, who could do that? That's the point. Following Jesus in the flesh is impossible. To do those things is possible in the Spirit. You know why? Because it says, this is God's will for you. When it's God's will, He gives you the enabling. 
He gives you the enabling. Sometimes we think of God's will kind of in a negative way. Well, this is God's will. That means I have to. I must. Well, that's an element of it. But how many of you ever thought of, oh, it's God's will. It means I can. Everyone say, I can. Because it's God's will. Is he going to ask you to do something you can't do? No, it doesn't mean it's easy. He gives you the enabling. So to give thanks in all circumstances, being God's will means you can. Through him. Through him. And if you're like, oh, dude, really? And you're like, I, I, I can't. I, I. That's the point. It brings you very quickly to the end of yourself. And you're like, Lord, you're going you're gonna to have to do a miracle in me. And that's the point. You know why? Because when he does a miracle in you, and you change your behavior, and you change your words, and you change your attitude, who gets the glory? God! That's the point. Is for us as followers of Jesus to be following him in the spirit, letting him transform us from the inside out, and we're new creations walking out there, and people around us like, what got into you? What happened to you? And all you can say honestly is like, how many of you have ever had a moment? Because, because someone said, what got into you? And you cannot... How many of you, it's a miracle, and take this right away, that you're even in a church this morning? Instead of home watching, used to be NFL, or wherever you are with that, and just sleeping in, or coffee. How many of you, at one point in your life, the farthest thing would be to be in a church worshiping God freely? Okay. Amen? See? He doesn't celebrate these moments. Now, look at the verse in verse 18. It says, give thanks what? Okay, key word, give thanks in. The key word, in. It doesn't say for. Radical difference. Radical difference. See, typically, and nothing wrong with it, when we get to Thanksgiving, we make a list of what we're thankful Four. Nothing wrong with that. We should be thankful for things. In fact, we praised one of our prayers this morning. We were thankful for this facility, thankful for the person next to us, thankful for. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what the verse says. Look what it says. Give thanks in. Why is that important? Because sometimes things in your life and in my life aren't real pleasant. And when we understand the distinction between for and in, we're still able to give thanks in an unpleasant circumstance. And you're going to see that in a little bit. The other reason it's important to get these words, this is why words matter in the Bible. Sometimes when we limit thanksgiving to a for, then it's just seasonal. Well, it's thanksgiving, so let's break out the for list. Nothing wrong with it. Right? I implore today I'm thankful for. And that's great. When you understand it says, be thankful, give thanks in, now it's 24-7, 365. It becomes every day instead of just a seasonal emphasis. And it's this giving thanks in all circumstances that will make the world perk up. That's where the world will take notice of you and I as believers and followers of Jesus. Because there's a lot of discouragement out there right now. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of hopelessness. Right? We 
experience the same things, we're still humans. But when we respond differently, that's the testimony. When we're able, in the midst of very trying circumstances, to be giving thanks in it, that's when the world goes, wow, how do you do that? How do you do that? What, what's that about? Okay? And it's not burying you know, your head in the sand. You know, some people think, oh, you Christians, you just bury your head in the sand and you just, like, believe, just believe. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about being able to give thanks, facing the world hell, looking at the brokenness and the fallenness and the wickedness of the world, looking at the circumstances that you and I face daily, and still being able to choose to give thanks in it. Supernatural. This, this giving thanks, in, in the Greek, the verbs are very important. Giving thanks is meant to be continual, habitual. That's what it says. In all, it says giving thanks in all, give thanks in all circumstances. That means continuous, habitual, every day. And it also means it's a choice. That's what that means. To give thanks in all circumstances means that it's to be continual, habitual, just our life. And it's a choice you and I make. When we leave here, things may happen in your life and in my life. Circumstances may go boop. And you and I are going to have to make a choice regarding giving thanks in something that may happen in the next hour or two understand it's a choice that we can make because we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Right? We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. And sometimes guys, it's just a matter of focus. It's a matter of focus. I'll share this story with you. It says, when her children were rebelling against the Lord, Ruth Bell Graham found herself occasionally torn apart by worry. One night while abroad, she awoke suddenly in the middle of the night, worrying about her son. A current of worry surged through her like an electric shock. She lay in bed and tried to pray, but she suffered from galloping anxiety, one fear piling upon another. She looked at the clock and it was around 3 o'clock. She was exhausted, yet she knew she would be unable to go back to sleep. Suddenly the Lord seemed to say to her, Quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. She turned on the light, got out her Bible, and the first verses that came to her were these, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. As she read those words, she suddenly realized that the missing ingredient in her prayers had been thanksgiving. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. She put down her Bible and spent time worshiping God for who and what he is. She later wrote, quote, I began to thank God for giving me this one I love so dearly in the first place. I even thanked him for the difficult spots which had taught me so much. And you know what happened? It was as if someone turned on the light in my mind and heart, and the little fears and worries that had been <coughs> nibbling away in the darkness like mice and cockroaches hurriedly skulking. That was when I learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. What changed her focus? Quit studying the problems. Start studying the problems. 
And it's challenging. Because sometimes in our life, we have problems. Amen? And sometimes they seem really big. Right? Big problems. Anyone? And the crazy thing is, the more we focus on it, it seems to get bigger. Until we just get so tied up in knots, we're paralyzed. Anyone? Because we're just focusing on it. And it just grows and grows and grows. And now we don't even want to pray. Now we can't even read the Bible. Now we don't even want to go to church. Because it's just so big. Right? Remember a couple weeks ago we studied the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He had this thorn. This problem called a thorn. And it went on for years and years and years. And he thought that the best solution to the problem was what? God, take away the problem. Right? How many of you and I in our life, when these problems get so big, we're just like, Lord, take it away. Hello? <laughs> Simple solution, take it away. Right? But sometimes we get so fixated on the problem that in our mind, there's only some one solution. And God's like, no, I have a bigger solution, a better one, in fact. I have lessons I want to teach you through this. And one of the things that can happen is we can get stuck. And sometimes when our problems seem so big, we can even get stuck in trying to figure out the why. The why behind it. And I understand that. And, and my prayer for myself as I've worked through this for us this morning is that as we look at how we can shift our focus, that if we're stuck on some things, maybe the why, you'll realize, wait, I don't have to focus on the why. I can focus on so much more. And we're going to look at very specific things about God and his plan and his purpose and his power to kind of free you from maybe focusing on, on the why. And something that helped me in this area of focusing on the why, because you know I'm kind of this thinker, is, is I realized, wait, I think there's a lot of things on this planet that we take for granted that even science doesn't know why. Right? There's a lot of unknown whys that we sort of just operate in. And believe me, this is not minimizing difficult circumstances, but it helped, it's helped me to go, wait a sec. There are some things every day that we all experience that science can't even give you a definitive why. It just kind of is. Right? And you know what one of these things is? Yawning. <laughs> now I'm going to give this a few seconds because it's about to happen real quick here. <laughs> and the great thing is, in putting this up, I, there's one. We got one. It's going to happen because it is, it is contagious. Some of you are fighting it right now. And you're fighting it so hard. But just talking about yawning, just reading about yawning, especially seeing yawning. Cindy, you are you are like on the verge. You're on the verge right now. Did you know that science does not know why definitively we yawn? There are theories, just theories. There has been no conclusive definitive answer about the origin of why humans and animals yawn. You may be familiar with, we got another one? We got another one. How many of you ever tried to not yawn in your eyes water? Like, 
could, could be right happening pretty soon right now. There's theories, right? Fatigue, boredom, you know, you need more oxygen. It's all just theories. You want to know, the, here's the latest theory kind of that's out there in the yawning research. We yawn to try to cool our brains down. Because when you're exhausted and sleep deprived, your body temperature, core temperature actually goes up. So when you yawn, you bring in cool air and you release muscles, and it actually brings your core temperature, your brain, back down to an optimal operating thermal regulation. See, the idea of boredom isn't really the basis of yawning, which made me feel really good on a Sunday. I'm like, nah, they're just thermal regulating. They're not bored. There's just a lot of thermal regulation happening every Sunday. I'm waiting for more of you because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. There we go. We got another winner. We got another winner right there. All right? How many of you have ever seen your pets yard? You know if your pets are close to you, they're actually, depending on your relationship, they mimic you. They're mimicking you. Tripping up, right? It's contagious. It's contagious. Just keep staring at it. It's going to happen. Here, here's the point. Is that... Even in this very simple thing, we can't. We don't know why. Now, there's a lot of understanding built around it to help us understand what may be going on and some some explanations, right? Bill, you're, <laughs> you're a leader here. What are you doing? See, he tried to be sneaky. He did the yawn without opening your mouth. That was almost got away with it. I just turned, and you're like. <laughs> having a real hard time walking. She said, hey, can you come help me? And I come alongside my dad. 
get him as far as our kitchen table in our, in our dining room there. And he starts to lose consciousness, and we just sit him down. Call the fire department, and uh, they come and they take him. And uh, he never woke up. It turned out that uh, sometime in the night he had a brain aneurysm, and uh, what followed was I was trying to process it as a son and then trying to help my mom and my family and then click in the pastoral role. And it was a very challenging time for me. And and I had to process that, you know, because my dad was very healthy, very healthy. And so uh, caught off guard, didn't see it coming. And I had to process this, right, this circumstance, this thing that happened in my life. And, and I had to make a choice. What am I going to focus on? And, and sure, I'd like to know the whys and how comes, and you know, it, it, it's it's uh, it's an unknown still. But I can either choose to focus on the unknown and what I do know about God and who He is, and and I can choose to walk by faith and and not by sight necessarily. And that's that's what I want to to focus on with you this morning is, okay, Lord. Ruth Graham Bell, she was focusing on the problem and not the promises. For me in that situation, I had to make a choice. Was I going to just dwell on the whys and how comes? Or, Lord, give me, how do I, what do I do? How do I focus? Where, where, where do I go? How do I give thanks in this? How do I give thanks in this? And I just want to share with you some some principles, you know, that may help you, that, that help me, that are biblical, and, and it will help, I think, all of us to give thanks in all circumstances. In, right? And the first one is, is what I call power. Power. So turn to Ephesians. We're going to look at several verses today, kind of a Bible survey, and I want to just point you in some directions. So first one is power. And what I mean by power is the Holy Spirit. So we turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word, be filled with the Spirit, is continuous. Be ye being filled. So be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And look at verse 20, connected to being Spirit-filled. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first one is power. And you're going to see a lot of verses up there. You can write them down if you're into taking notes. We're not going to look at every verse and every topic. First one is power, right? And so maybe for some of us, you, you, you're in a circumstance, and it's like, man, this is beyond me. I, I don't, I don't even, I can't even fathom what it means to give thanks right now in this. That's okay. That's a starting point. Just be honest with God. Say, Lord, wow. power. Because 
it's not just something that we must do, it's something we can do. You have to believe. Right? Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says it's God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in you to will and to do. He wants you to walk in his will. But you've got to yield, you've got to trust him, you've got to surrender, you've got to submit. Okay? So we, we can focus on the power. And then we can focus on God's plan. And what I mean by I mean, like plan is he is he's sovereign. His sovereignty. Psalm 7, 17 says this. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name, name of the Lord most high. Most high is a name for God. It means there's a, in the Hebrew it's El Elyon, right? Which means he's almighty. You've got to trust in his plan. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is in control. He's sovereign. We're not going to understand everything that goes on in an infinite, eternal mind. Not on this side of heaven anyway. Not with our finite minds. His ways are higher. Remember the story in Genesis where Joseph was betrayed by his brothers? Remember that? They didn't like him, threw him in a ditch, and sold him, right? And he raises up through the ranks, and, and eventually they're reunited through a famine. Remember that whole story? And and then, after his, his father dies, his, his brothers were all freaking like, what's Joseph going to do? What's Joseph going to do? Right? And they meet him, and, and he says this to his brothers. Joseph said to them, this is Genesis 50, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Here it is. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Sometimes we don't understand in the middle of a circumstance what God is doing. And I love this story. You thought... But God had other plans. Amen? Anyone ever have one of those moments where in the middle of it you're like, Lord, what are you doing? I just want this to go away. This. And then in retrospect, maybe years down the road, you have one of those, ah, I get it. Okay. Right? So sometimes we just have to, by faith, rest in his sovereignty, his plan. His plan. Next one is his person, what I call his attribute. Right? Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 18, 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is... For he is what? Good. His love endures forever. Psalm 119, 68. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. When I say person, I mean God's attributes. He's still God. I'm just using, you know, pastors like all these people try to lock in all these memory devices. Person, I'm focusing on God's attributes. Specifically today, His goodness. His goodness. In 2015, we spent weeks and weeks trying to get, what does it mean that God is good? Because in our common everyday uses of good, it just means not bad. No, 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 no. When you understand God's goodness, oh man, it will rock your world. Because God innately is good, right? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. The basis of thanksgiving is his goodness. What does that mean? Not only, it's not, it doesn't just mean he's not bad. It means because
because he is good, he desires your That's got to make you feel pretty. <laughs> A good God desires your all the time. That radically changes how you view his prohibitions, how you view his commandments, how you view everything. Because it's all for your... Any of parents here ever do anything for your child's good and they didn't like it? Just turn to them right now if they deserve a smile. It was for your good. Right? Well, in this sovereign, eternal way, because God is good, everything he wants for you and me is good. Even in the midst of very trying circumstances, you can give thanks for he is good. His goodness, very important, God's nature, his attributes, in this case, his goodness, not change because our circumstances change. Now what can happen if you're not careful and you drift away from scripture, you begin to equate your circumstances with God's nature. That's when you get in trouble. Remember Genesis 3, the fall? Right? God gave some prohibitions for Adam and Eve's good. Satan came along and says, hey, He's not really that good. It was an attack on God's goodness. He knows if you eat that, you're going to be like him. He's not that good. Why would a good God keep that? See, a lot of our challenges in our life might be because these circumstances have begun to color, color our view of God's goodness. And I love this quote by Larry Crabb where it says, when I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly, but with tight-lipped resolve, take responsibility for my own well-being. When you go down the route, and I go down the route of questioning and accusing God's goodness, here's where it ends up. Well, if he ain't going to take care of me, I guess I got to do it. not say it out loud, but we're going to take control of this ship, because apparently the man upstairs is asleep. And the root of that might be, you begin to doubt his goodness. You begin to doubt his, his unchanging goodness. And that, you know, that's, that's where our faith comes in, guys. This is, this is where our faith muscles get stretched. for the good 
those who love him. It's a promise. It doesn't say all things are good. But in God's sovereignty, in his goodness, and now in his promise, we can give thanks. Because by faith we believe he's going to work it for the good. It's a promise. It's a promise. Right? What else can we focus on? Our position. Turn to Colossians. I just want to look at Colossians 1, verse 10 through 14. Look at those verses up there. Colossians 1, verse 10 through 14. Colossians 1, 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully, giving thanks to the Father. Okay, the reason we're going to give these verses, it says giving thanks to the Father, and now he's going to give you four incredible truths about your position. Look at it. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So he's qualified you to share in the inheritance. That's one. Keep reading. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Amen? Number three, he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Amen? And number four, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Number four. See, the giving of thanks in these verses is tied to our position in Christ. That's why, that's why all these things, power, plan, person, promise, position, here's the radical thing. None of this changes in changing circumstances. This is our rock. This is our stability. This is why we can give thanks. Because even in the most stretching of circumstances, you know what? I'm still a child of God. My name is still written in heaven. My God is still on the throne. God is my God, my God. And he promises that all things work. Jesus. 
Requires you to be born again. Requires you to receive his salvation by grace through faith. Be born. Be a child of God. Be a new creation. Be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Then all of that's yours to claim. Yours to bank on. Yours to rest in. Right? So this morning, starting point maybe for some, is a personal relationship with Jesus. Personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John 4, 13 to 14 is kind of the basis of why we call this place the well. What does he say? To the Samaritan woman at the well, he says this, Jesus, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's why we call this place the well. At the core, we want people to meet Jesus at the well and turn to relationship with him by faith. And the radical thing now, in a very practical way, you can leave here and claim all of those. Just like that. Because it's true now. Radical supernatural thing happens positionally in you, supernaturally in you, and you can claim all those other power. All it's all yours. It's all yours because it's all here. It's all true. Right? And finally, before we take communion, I'll share with you Luke 22. Turn to Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment for the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, Some of you in your church traditions may be familiar with the word Eucharist, right? But it's very interesting that Eucharisteo means give thanks, means grateful. So Jesus gave thanks, Eucharisteo, right? And that's what we do every week when we come forward. We do it in remembrance of Jesus, but we also do it.
this morning and that's your starting point, we are so thankful. And just in the best way you know how, just talk to God. Just in your heart and say, Lord, I understand this maybe more clearly. Maybe for the first time I want a personal relationship with you, Jesus, as a starting point. So in the best way I know how, I'm placing my 